How many of you are excited about what God's doing in your life? A few of you are. Some of you tentatively raise your hand. I'm excited about what God's doing in my, my life. And I'll tell you why. He, he's stretching me. Okay? I don't know about you, but this is a stretch for me today, okay? Uh, I've been here a couple of times and, uh, and uh, it, it, was, it was a good experience. Thank you, Charles. I got two and don't know what to do with any of them. All right, we'll just do this. I feel like a Anglican priest now. Uh, okay, well, we won't worry about it. But I'm excited about what God's doing. Uh, I don't know whether you realize this or not, but God doesn't like to do the same thing over and over and over. He's, he's not a boring God. Now, He may choose to do some of the same things over and over again, but when He works in our lives, it's usually new to us. And, and everywhere he, he takes us is usually a new place. And so I'm, I'm enjoying a part of the trip. Now, some of the trip is, uh, is harrowing, okay? <laughs> I'm kind of one of those people, I've already told you this, I like to get my ducks in a row about three weeks in advance so that nothing surprises me and everything's okay. Well, God's decided we're not going to take that journey at this point in my life. So we're just going to trust Him. And, and today I'm going to share a little bit with you. And, and if how many of you were at the meeting and I'm trying to think of the date, uh, and I'm probably not going to be able to. It was when the tornado came through, April 27th. We met on, on April the 29th. Uh, there was a group that met, and I just shared the vision of what, what God had laid on my heart. And I don't want you to raise your hand, but if you were here, you heard just a mention of what I'm going to talk about today. But I'm going to preach out of a text that... Uh, that's found in 2 Kings. And I'm going to stay in that text because we don't have screens today. And, and so you're going to have to do this kind of the old-fashioned way. But in 2 Kings chapter 3, and I'm going to talk about that. And I've, I've entitled this Preparing for the Rain. Preparing for the Rain. Now, the journey we're on with God, and that, that includes all of us individually, but also corporately as a church. That journey is a partnership. How many of you realize that? You've heard me say over and over and over that our relationship with God is a partnership. And God has chosen to partner with us. When He gave Adam and He gave Eve the will to choose, God chose to partner with humanity to bring about His will. Now, I understand that if, if, if I choose not to partner with Him, he'll, His will will still be done. Okay, I believe in a sovereign God. I believe that God has a plan and a purpose and He's working it out. But at the same time, the will that He's given each of us is very important. And it's important that we learn to obey. When God tells us to do something, it's important that we do it. That we fully obey Him. And when we obey... We are partnering with God, and what happens is God's will comes about. Now, God doesn't need us, okay? I know that may burst possibly your bubble, but God really, He doesn't need me, okay? And He doesn't need you. The thing is, God wants me, and He wants you. There's a big difference. God's capable of doing whatever He wants to do with a thought, with a word, with emotion. And yet He's chosen to bring about His will on this planet through His people. Through His people. 
He wants us, every one of us, to be a vital part of what He's doing in the world. And I really believe, if I didn't believe this, folks, I wouldn't be doing this, okay? I really believe He has something that He wants to do through this church. I think it's a new thing. He hasn't even shown me exactly what it is yet. He just keeps telling me, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And so we've been in a, we've been the last year, we've been in kind of a, an educational mode, in a sense. We've been meeting at the school. Amen? And, and we've been learning. We, I, one, of our, one of our folks said it was like going to rehab. We, we, God's been kind of... <laughs> That'll get to you in a minute. You'll think about it. But it was. We, we, got, we, we, we jettisoned some of the junk that we've picked up, some of the religious junk that we've picked up. And, and we've kind of set it to the side and we've kind of got a fresh taste of God again. Well, now we've kind of moved in, into a new phase. Now, I wouldn't call it a governmental phase. We have to be meeting in a governmental place. But, but I want you to understand this. This is not by accident that we are here. Okay? And God's wanting to teach us something about it. I don't know exactly what it is yet, but He'll show us. And where God's leading us to has another phase. And, and I believe it's the marketplace. And I believe that's where God wants us to be, folks, in the marketplace. Church is not about gathering in a holy huddle. Church is not a building. And, and, and I think you know that, okay? <laughs> uh, church is not about a pastor. Church is not about programs. Church is about people who love Jesus, who are going out and sharing Jesus with the marketplace. And so, God's got a plan and a purpose that He's taking us out. And, and I really believe He wants to pour out His presence. I believe He wants to pour out His power in this region. But He wants to do it through people who have no kingdom building plans of their own. Okay, I'm going to say that again. God's looking for a body of people that He can, he can safely deposit His presence and His power in who won't take His power and His presence and pervert it for their own good, for their own ends, or for their own fame. That, that, that's, I mean, that's God. Okay? Now, we have a chance to be that church. Okay? And I'm not saying anything about any of the other churches in the region. I pray that every church in this region will become that kind of church. Where we forget about our own plans and our own kingdoms and we go after the kingdom of God. But we have a, we have a chance to do that. And so, God is looking for a people who, number one, are hungry for His heart. Okay? That's the first thing. We've got to be hungry for God's heart. If we're not hungry for God's heart, we'll satisfy that hunger or we'll attempt to satisfy that hunger with something else. And that's where we get in trouble. And that's where we start building our own kingdoms. Okay? It may not be a religious kingdom. It may be a financial kingdom. It may be a social kingdom. It may be a... a, a you know, you name it, it can be a kingdom. But he wants some people who are hungry for his heart, whose heart are completely his. And that's tough, okay? Let's just be real honest. There's so many things that, that grab us and draw us. But God's looking for some men and women and some boys and girls who have a heart that's completely his. And they're willing to love other people. Okay? When we love people, listen to me, we won't change this region with programs, okay? We won't change it with music. We won't change it with preaching. We will change it by loving people with the heart of God. 
by showing people what God's heart was. You know why Jesus attracted so many people? Well, yeah, now he did miracles. He he did all that stuff. Okay, but but John tells us that he came to show us the Father. He came to be a living example of God's heart turned inside out, and we are to imitate Jesus. We're to be the same examples to the people around us. And if we'll do that, folks, if we'll partner with God in that, He will shake this region. Okay, He'll shake it. I'm telling you, He will. He will shake it, and He will not just shake this region. He will shake this world for His glory. Our desire here, and I've said this over and over and over, and I'm going to keep saying this, but our desire, my desire, our desire at Eagle's Wing is not to build a church. Amen goes there. Okay? That's a teeny, tiny vision. That's a man-sized vision, in my opinion. My desire is not to build a kingdom. My desire is not to build something that I can look back 20 years from now and say, you know what, I did this and this. I could care less. Okay, I'm just being honest with you. Our desire is not to build a church. Our desire is to be a place of refuge where people can come and find a safe place. Our desire is to be a place of restoration where people who are hurting and people who are broken and people who have who have genuine needs, whether that be physical or emotional or financial, can find some restoration and God can put them back together and turn them from wounded and beat up into warriors. And our desire is to be a place where relationships built, where people can can plug in and become everything that Jesus Christ intended them to be. Folks, that's why we're here. And if we'll do that, the Gospel of Jesus will be proclaimed, not just by word, but it will be proclaimed in deed. It will be proclaimed in our actions. Our, Our desire... And really our focus, and you've heard me say this over and over, and this isn't just a trite little statement that sounds good. Our focus is on the unchurched. Okay? Those who have yet to, to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? That's one thing that we're about. And may I have been praying that God would send us lost people and send us to lost people. Can, can I just tell y'all a, a really something about church growth that you don't really realize? Churches don't grow unless the people that go go Very few lost people are going to wander into the church. Okay? They're just not. But if we go out and we make disciples and we share the Gospel and we show the people what the love of Christ is like every day, God will save them. And guess what will happen? They'll get in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. If that's the church over there, the church over there, glory to God, the kingdom is increased. God will take care of us. But we have to go. We have to, to go out and reach the unchurched. Our desire also is to, is to reach those who've been de-churched. Okay? And by that, my definition of that is they've kind of fallen through the cracks. It's not that the church they were involved in did anything wrong. or, or It's just they they just fell in through the cracks. They're, they're not involved. They, 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 they're no longer involved or they've been hurt or whatever. And so we, we're, we're reaching out to them. And I think we, we've done a pretty good job the last year. Okay, And then our, our final group that we're, we're trying to touch is those who've been hurt by church. And if we were to raise our hand, have you ever been hurt in church? I believe probably everybody in here would. Now listen to me. 
There's no church that's perfect. And, and here's the key. Hurting people hurt people. Okay? And we're all hurting. So guess what? We all hurt. Our desire, though, is to be a church where hurting people can come and be healed. Okay? That, that means that we've got to allow God to heal us. You can't help people until you've been healed. Okay? Alright. God's called us to a great work. That's our focus. That's our desire. Okay, It's not to build some building, to have a name on a, a sign with lights, although that would be nice, but that's not our desire. Okay, Our desire is for God to build the kingdom of God through us. Now, you and I have to prepare for that. And that doesn't just happen. I wish it did, but it doesn't. If we prepare for God's presence to come, and I think we've been tasting it a little bit. If we prepare for God's presence to come and God's power to come, guess what will happen? God will bring the provision that we need. He will, he will show up. The reason He does not show up in power is because most churches are not prepared to, to gather what He wants to send. When, when the rain comes in the Middle East, and it's a little different here because we get plenty of rain, but in the Middle East, in most of the places where people live, there are aqueducts and cisterns and, and conduits to catch the rain. To channel it. Rain is precious. Rain is life. Water is life. And so they do everything that they can. To, if there's a drop of rainfall, they want to catch it. They want to conserve it. Folks, God's not going to pour out His glory on a place where it falls on the high ground and evaporates. He's going to pour it on a people who are hungry for it, who've prepared, who've done the work to receive what He wants to send. And that's, that's really what I want to talk about today. I believe that can be us. Like I said, you're not here because of plush accommodations. Amen? Although this is, these chairs are not too bad. They're not as nice as what we've got, but then again, we didn't have to unload them off the truck this morning. And we won't have to load them back up. Amen? Amen. You're not here for plush accommodations. You're not here because we've got 10,001 programs. And there's nothing wrong with programs. And you're certainly not here because I'm some great preacher, okay? I, I realize that. You're here, I believe, because you're hungry for something. You can't quite put your finger on it, but you're hungry for something. And it's not something that once was. It's something that can be. And I think God's working in all of us. And I, I believe that hunger that God has given each of us is something that we cannot quench. And it's something that, that without obeying Jesus, we're never going to get a taste of. And so... Like I said earlier, God is looking for a, a body of believers, a church. That's what a, a, a church is. It's a body of believers who are willing to prepare so that He can pour out His presence. And if we'll do that, folks, we can be that church. And if we'll do that, God will do amazing things. Not just with us, but out there. God, God will roll through here like a thunderstorm. And the rain will come. And wherever the rain falls, life will spring up. Now, I want to share a story with you. 
And it's found in 2 Kings chapter 3. This is an interesting chapter. I'm not even going to deal with the latter part of it. That's where most people go in it. But uh, I'm just going to kind of give you a general idea of the story and uh, let you understand what's going on. And I I want to point out some particular verses. But it seems in chapter 3 of uh, 2 Kings, it talks about... Jehoram or Joram, it depends on which translation you have. But Jehoram was the king of Samaria. Jehoram was the son of Ahab and Jezebel. And he was raised in a very wicked, in fact, probably almost the most, at least the most wicked queen. Maybe not the most wicked king, but he was he was just raised in wickedness. Scripture tells us in this that he wasn't as wicked as his father. That he did get rid of the, 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 the Baal worship, a lot of it. He got rid of it, he cast the pillars down and that, but he still continued in the in the wickedness that was there. And so Jehoram is is the king. His father has died, and all of a sudden what typically would happen uh, in a kingdom is is those lands that you had conquered, they would rebel. The old king's gone, we're gonna test the new king and see if he's as strong as his daddy was. And so the king of Moab, who was a, a shepherd, had a, undoubtedly had a lot of sheep, he rebelled. Moab was a, a vassal state in a sense. The, the Samaritans had conquered the Moabites. And they were required every year to pay a tax. Now, some, some vassal states had to pay in gold coinage or different things. Moab paid in sheep and sheep skins. They paid 100,000 sheep and 100,000 sheared wool of the rams. So that was their payment every year. Well, Ahab died, his son becomes king, and the king of Moab decides, I'm not paying that anymore. And so King Jehoram decides, well, you know, it's, it's put up or shut up. What do I do? So he decides to muster his army and to march to Moab to reclaim what's rightfully his by, by conquest and by covenant. Okay? He, he had, he, they had conquered the Moabites. They would conquered them. They had beaten them. And then they had signed a covenant that we will pay this each year. Well, the king of Moab had broken the covenant. And so Jehoram decides, I will march and I will enforce it and I'll bring them back under my room. And so as he begins to march down that... Uh, I'm going to try to give you some geography. If I get mixed up, so be it, okay? There's two ways to get to Moab. You can cross the Jordan River and come in from the eastern side, or you can march down beside the Jordan River, down beside the Dead Sea, around the bottom of the Dead Sea on the eastern side, come up through Egypt and go to Moab. This past uh, uh, November, Kathy and I went to Israel. Most of you know that. We, we went to Petra, which is far below the Dead Sea, but we traveled right through Moab and we traveled right through Edom. And folks, it is the most desolate place. There's nothing there but rocks, pretty much. Not a lot of rain. There's not even any cactus, okay? It's just rocks. So there's not a lot there. Well, they decide to go down through the, the Jordan Valley and down on the, the eastern side or excuse me, the western side of the uh, of the Jordan. And on their way down, he sends a letter to the king of Israel. 
at, at this time, Israel uh, is divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which is Samaria, and the southern kingdom, which is Israel, or Judah. And he sends it to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. Jehoshaphat has been ruling for 15, 16, 17 years. And so he sends a, a letter to him and invites him to come and be a part of, 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 of the army. So Jehoshaphat basically says, hey, your people are my people. We, we're just like brothers. We're one. And so he marches out. Well, on his way, he sends a letter to one of his vassals, which is Edom. Judah had conquered Edom, so Edom was a part of, uh, of, of them. And so we've got three kings that have gathered together. And now they're marching down through the lowest place on the earth. Okay, The driest place on the earth. The, one of the hottest places on the earth. There's, there's not a lot down there. Okay, The Dead Sea is the lowest place on this planet. And there's nothing alive in it. And there's not much alive outside of it. Okay, it's it's a it's a. When I dream of what hell looks like, it's pretty close to that. Okay, except there's flames in my dreams. And so they march out, and they go toward Moab. Now, the king has he's rebelled, and 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 what happens is, folks, they're they're going to enforce their rule. Now, here's the thing about rebellion. If we live in rebellion, it robs us of what God wants to do. Folks, revival and rebellion never live in the same household. They never live in the same household. They can't share the same room. Rebellion robs us of what's ours to rightfully possess. Do you realize that? I may be alone in this, but I believe this. I believe that God intended us to live in a state of revival. Okay? And when I define revival, I'm not talking about running around with your hands up there screaming and shouting. I'm talking about being alive. That's what revival is. It's being revived from the brought back to life. And God has, has called us to live lives that are exciting. He's called us to live lives that are abundant. He's called us to, to live in that place where everything that God wants to give us is free. For me, that's revival. But what happens is rebellion usually takes place at some point. And all of a sudden, we end up living in a dry, dusty place, wishing that we could have again what we once had. Folks, that's what rebellion does. And that's what the king of Moab had done. He had rebelled. Now, we can either sit in church services after service after service wishing that we could have that again, or we can go after God. That's, that's the choice. I personally have sat in enough church services that if it was going to bring, if being present was going to bring revival, we'd be in a state of revival. Amen? I've been going to church since I was, before I was born. My mom and daddy, we went every Sunday, Wednesday night, Sunday night. Whenever the doors were open, we were there. There was a year or so there that I took a hiatus and went my own way, but for the most part, I've been in church every time church was open. Folks, meetings won't bring revival. It's the presence of God that brings revival. And so, this army marches to reclaim what was theirs. And man got very far when all of a sudden the problems begin to crop up. If you read the story, you'll find that about seven days into their march, guess what? They ran out of water. Guess what? There wasn't any water to drink where they were at. 
And so what happens is it's dry and it's hot, and the king who had organized this, who put all this together, Jehoram, he forgets the very reason that they're going. Now, he didn't forget in the sense that uh, that he didn't know what they were doing, but he forgot in the sense that... Uh, what are we doing here? You, you ever been there? You know what you're supposed to be doing, but things start getting tough, and all of a sudden you think, this is crazy. Well, that's kind of what he did. He, he came to that place where they needed a miracle to survive. And instead of asking God for a miracle, Jehoram blamed God for bringing them out there. In fact, if you read the text really closely, what he says is, God has brought we three kings out here to destroy us. You ever felt like that? Let's not be religious. Let's just be real here. You ever felt like God, you knew you were following God, you were walking with God, and all of a sudden you're in a place where it's tough? It's not going like you thought it would. In fact, nothing is working like it's supposed to. And you wonder, has God brought me out here to destroy me? Has God brought me out here to get rid of me? Is there, have I sinned? You know, on and on and on. Well, that's, that's where Jehoram found himself. He blamed God and he came to the conclusion that, that God had brought him out in the desert to hand him over to the king of Moab. And not only him, but, but the other two kings. You see, Jehoram knew about God. Jehoram didn't know God. Jehoram was raised in a pagan household. They used God's name. They knew things and facts and, and all those kind of things, but they didn't know God. His mother and daddy were, were the wickedest royal family that ever lived. And so he knew about God, but he didn't know God. He had no relationship with God. So what happened is he blamed God. Now listen to me, facts and figures about God, biblical trivia about God, religious mumbo and jumbo about God is not the same thing as relationship with God. Religion and relationship are two different things. Okay? Religion will leave you in the desert blaming God. Relationship won't. Relationship will cause you to grab hold of God no matter how dry it gets, no matter how hot it gets. And so, what happened is, there was somebody there that had a relationship with God. His name was Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a good king. Now, he made some stupid decisions, okay? One of them was going anywhere with Jehoram. But he'd already made that stupid decision before with Ahab, okay? He had done that before. So, But he was a good king. He loved the Lord. He followed the Lord. And so, what happened is, is, is Jehoshaphat knew what to do. You see, when you get in a dry place, when you get in a place where, where nothing's working, you get in that place where everything seems to, to be going to hell in a handbasket, somebody that has a relationship seeks a word from God. They don't blame God. God brought us out here to destroy. No, God, what's going on? God, give me a word. Give me a promise I can hold on to. Give me something, God, that will carry me that day. You know, a promise is like a drink of water. I don't know whether you realize this or not, but a promise is like a drink of water. So that's exactly what Jehoshaphat did. In verse 11, 311, I'm going to read this as soon as the clock quits donging. I knew it would do that. It's going to do it 11 times, okay? I don't count, but that's what it's going to do. 
Unless it's not on daylight savings time. Okay, verse 11. 311. But King Jehoshaphat of Judah asked... Well, you know, let's go back to verse 10. What should we do? The kings of Israel cried out. The Lord has brought the three of us here to let the king of Moab defeat us. But King Jehoshaphat of Judah asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord with us? If there is, if there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through Him. Is there not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by Him? In other words, Jehoshaphat said, We need a word from God. We need a promise we can hold on to. We need a plan we can follow. We need some spiritual water we can drink. That, that's what he's saying. So Jehoshaphat falls back on that relationship he has with God. Joram had nothing to fall back on but his religion. And what it, that religion had left him high and dry. And so these three kings, they go after a word. They don't wait on the word to come to them. They go after the word. Okay, that's important. Sometimes words come to us. And sometimes we have to go after the Word. So the three kings went after Word. They, they went after God. And listen to me, folks. If you have a Word from God, if God's given you a Word in your life, pursue it. If He hasn't, go after Him. That's the only two options a believer has. If God has not given you a promise that you can hold on to, then go after Him until He does. Go after Him. I've shared this with, 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 with you before, but God gave me a word 14 years ago in a church service at night. I can take you there. I can show you where I was sitting. I can show you up in the balcony where I felt like God was speaking to me from. I, I, can, I can relive that moment in detail. Okay? It was so real. There was a service going on, and it was a wild one. It was a ripping, roaring praise and worship, and all of a sudden, the lights go out, and I can't hear nothing but God. Just me and God. And God told me that if I'd be patient, I would see revival. Now, I've taken that word, folks, and I've carried it everywhere I went. I left Gardner First Baptist, and I went to Cross Gates in Brandon, Mississippi, because I believe that's where God was leading me. I left Crossgates and I'm here right now because I believe that's where God's leading me. I've got a word that God's given me. And when it gets dry and it gets dusty, it gets dusty, I interrupt that word and I eat it and I drink it. Okay? Because I know God is faithful. Folks, if you don't have a word, get a word. If you've got a word, pursue it. So what they did is they pursued it. They went after the word of God. They did that because, like I said, Jehoshaphat had a, had a relationship with God. And because he did have a relationship, God gave him a word. If you read the, the text of the story, uh, they go to see Elisha. Elisha was the prophet. He was the successor of Elijah. He didn't have much use for Jehoram. In fact, he told Jehoram, if it was just you... You could wander around, I'm going to paraphrase this, but you could wander around in this desert till you die. Because God has nothing to say to you. But Jehoshaphat was there. And because he had a relationship, God spoke a word to these three kings, to this prophet. Now, I'm going to read that to you. Folks, here's a, here's a reality. If we don't have a relationship, you can't expect a promise. And you certainly can't expect provisions to the promise. You have to have a relationship. Relationship implies intimacy. 
And intimacy implies that you understand the heart of the person that you love. You can't have a relationship without intimacy. If you don't know the person that you love, you're not going to know their heart. Jehoshaphat knew God's heart. So God shared His heart with Jehoshaphat. Listen to what it says in, in verse 16. I'm going to read verse 16 through 18. Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of trenches. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, nor shall you hear see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that you can drink both you and your cattle and your beasts. And this is but a slight thing in the sight of the Lord. He shall also give the Moabites into your hand. They were dying of thirst. They'd forgotten about the king of Moab by this time. And God tells them something to do and then He makes this promise. There will be plenty for your, for your animals to drink, for your soldiers to drink, and that's just a small thing. I'm going to also give you the Moabites as well. Now, they have a word from God. God's given them a promise promise of provision that they can count on. The Bible tells us to seek God with all our heart. And if we do, according to Jeremiah 29.13, if we seek Him with all our heart, He will let us find Him. And Jehoshaphat saw You know when you get desperate, it becomes easy to seek God. You know what, if we could just learn to seek God with the same tenacity and the same perseverance when we're not as desperate, imagine what might happen. So Jehoshaphat seeks after God. God gives him the promise. And what happened is God promised that, that water's going to appear. That's the promise. I'm going to fill this valley with water. Folks, God's given us some promises as a people. Not just as, a, as Eagles Wing Church, but as a people. He promises that He's going to send the latter rain. He's going to send revival. He's going to pour out His presence. God promises that throughout the Scriptures. If you study the history of the church, you will find revival after revival after revival after revival. God has, has kept His promises. And I believe He wants to send it again. Folks, we have to partner with Him. We have to believe the promise. We have to go after the promise. We have to count on it. We have to pursue God. Listen to me. We have to pursue God, not the things of God. Not buildings, not programs, not fame and fortune, but God. That's it. What do we pursue? God. The heart of God. Now this group had their word. But they had some preparation to do on their part. They were required to do something. In other words, the provision of the promise was conditioned. God didn't just say, I'm going, it's going to rain, y'all will be alright. That's, that's not what He told them. He gave them something to do. In fact, God said, make this valley full of trenches. Now, if you've never used a shovel... You're not going to understand exactly what God said to this group of soldiers. I mean, th- these were warriors. These were guys that had shields and 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 spears and lances and and bows and arrows. And I mean, they were in armor. I mean, they, they, and God says, "Throw all that stuff down. Get you a shovel and start digging." How many of you realize that that digging ditches is hard work? For the first three months of my plumbing career, 
I was intimately acquainted with the show. My boss, I worked for a, a, a fairly large company. He had a nice backhoe. He just didn't believe in using it. He liked to look at it. And so I can remember hunting a septic tank all day long. We were supposed to tie it in. It was a new house. I hunted it all day long for the show. I know how to use a shovel, okay? You may have never used a shovel. When nobody's looking, get out in the backyard and just try this. But God calls on these soldiers. He says, I want you to throw your weapons down. And I know it's hot here. In fact, this is probably the lowest place on the earth, so it probably can't get much hotter. But I want you to pile your stuff up over here on the sides, and I want you to start digging. And I don't want you just to dig a ditch. I want you to fill this valley with trenches. Now that's the Word from God. What if God had given you that Word? Start digging ditches. Start digging ditches. Seems a little strange, doesn't it? I mean, I've already mentioned these guys were in one of the driest places in the world. It hardly ever rains there. And when it does, it evaporates. Dig trenches, yeah, right. Did I hear that right? Their job, though, was not to question God. It was not to tell God about the scarcity of rain in this particular region. It was not to tell Him that, God, that's impossible. Their job was to prepare. They were to prepare for the showers of blessing. Folks, God had promised them that water was coming. Their job was to fill the valley with trenches. Give me something. What God was saying is, give me something that when I pour out my blessings, that every drop of it is consumed. Every drop of it is saved. Not a drop of it goes to waste. Folks, show me a church that's willing to dig ditches. And I'll show you a church that will soon be filled with the power and the presence of God. Show me a church that's willing to prepare herself for what others say is impossible. Uh, that God no longer works that way. That America is too far gone. Show me a church that's willing to fill their valley up with trenches, folks. And you'll see the glory clouds of God come. You'll hear the thunder. And you'll see the raindrops. And the lightning will flash. And it will come. But folks, our partnership is required. We can't just talk about it. We have to get the shovel out, grab hold of it with both hands, and start pitching We have to prepare. Now, I don't know exactly what that preparation is. I do know this that I need to tell everybody I meet about Jesus. That's how I start digging ditches. If I'll love them as much as God loves me, that won't be a problem. Well, Pastor Nelson, you don't understand. I don't do that very well. Well then, do it another way. Wrap your arms around their neck and tell them you love them and that Jesus loves them and, and give, them, you know, give them a cup of cold water. Maybe it's some poor uh, lady or man that, that's barely getting by. Take them a sack of groceries and tell them Jesus loves them. There's lots of ways to witness without doing the Roman road or evangelism explosion. Nothing wrong with those things. But folks, we've got to be digging ditches. We've got to be preparing. We've got to be preparing. Because our partnership is required. If we'll dig the ditches, God will fulfill the promise. Now, I'm going to use this word. If the rain comes and the ditches are not dug, you know what happens? The water just runs off. It 
just it, it posts to the lowest place and pretty soon it's gone. And guess what? In a week or two, it's just as dry as it was. And that's what would have happened there. It could come a cloudburst in the mountains. And that rain collecting the the wadis or the valleys and they come down, it, it washes the roads out. And, and you'll be driving down through there to the, to the Dead Sea and there'll be a road washed out and you'll think, what happened? Well, we had a rainstorm. And you'll think to yourself, there's no way. But that's what happens. It, it was wasted. It was destructive and it wasted. And so what happens is, if we'll do the work now, folks, when the rain comes... We can use those ditches. I'll just put it this way. We can use those ditches to swim in the glory of God. Okay? I'm ready for the river to start running. I'm ready to wade out ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, over my head deep, take a deep breath, and suck all that glory in I can and just go with Jesus. Folks, Jesus is not ready to pour out that glory yet because we've got things that we need to do. You've got things that you need to do. I've got things that I need to do. If we'll dig the ditches, God will send the rain. Now they've been given God's promise here. And now they, they partnered with God by making the required preparation. They dug the ditches. Okay, We know that because later on, the sun comes up the next day. They must have dug all night long. Because the sun comes up and, and the Moabites are watching. They're looking. And they see the reflection on the water and it's red. And you might wonder why was it red? Well, the ground's red there, okay? I mean, that's, that's a natural explanation I can use. It's just the dirt's red. Uh, and so that along with the sun creates a... a, 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 a it's just shining red. Well, they thought it was blood, but it wasn't. It was water. Listen to what verse 20 says. And it happened in the morning about the time of the offering of the sacrifice that behold, the water came by way of Edom and the country was filled with water. Folks, they didn't see the rain. They didn't hear the wind. And yet the ditches that they had dug were filled to the ground. If they weren't half full, they were totally full. And that's what God always does. God fills as much as we prepare. Remember the, 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 the widow and Elijah? Go get all the pots and the, and, and the jars you can get. And, 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 and what happened is every one she brought was filled up with oil. That's how God works. God pours out far more than we can have. They didn't see it come, though. They didn't see the rain. They didn't see the water come. But the dead, dry valley was filled with water. And that water gave them life and it maintained their life. Everything they needed, God provided in abundance. Folks, that's the God we serve. Our God doesn't eke it out at the time. God serves it up in abundance. It's interesting to me that rain and wind are both... Symbolic picture of the Holy Spirit. And folks, that's, that's all revival is. It's the presence of God coming. When it talks about God sending the man of rains, it's God's Spirit in a manifest way. When, when He talks about becoming the water of life and water uh, coming up like an artesian, it's the Spirit of God coming out through us. When they fully obeyed God, God moved. And that's a key. Folks, you can't expect God to move if you partially obey. 
partially doesn't get it. Do you realize partially is rebellion? That's all it is. Yeah, I think of some of the other places in Scripture. God gave them instructions on, on building a tabernacle. They had completed it down to the last detail. What happened? God showed up. His glory cloud just sat down on that temple. When Solomon built the temple that his father had, had collected materials for and prepared for and had the plan for, he completed it down to the very last detail of what happened. God came. And the priest couldn't even minister in the house. Folks, when these kings had done what God told them to do, when they had filled that valley full of trenches, what happened? The presence of God came and, and water came. Folks, I'm telling you, if we'll do what God is telling us to do, His presence will come. If we'll just partner with Him and obey Him, He'll come. Folks, when His presence comes, when the Spirit of God shows up and His power begins to manifest, people's lives are changed. Sick get healed. Those that are in bondage get set free. Prodigals come home. Lost get saved. Marriages are rejuvenated. Communities are turned upside down. When the body of Christ starts to live out Christianity in their homes and their communities, the Spirit of God comes. I want you to listen to this. Christianity is not a label that we wear. It's not a label. It's a lifestyle that we live. And folks, when we tear the label out and start living out the lifestyle, we'll have the presence and the power of God in our lives. I believe that God wants to send His Spirit in a powerful way. I believe that He wants to fulfill His promise. He's just looking for some people who will... One word that I hear used a lot is steward. And I think that's a good word. Who will steward His glory when He pours out. See, God doesn't share His glory. When we start gathering up His glory, guess what? God removes Himself from the situation. But He pours out His glory. And we'll steward it. We'll handle it like it's holy. Like it's not something that's common, but it's holy. And it has certain parameters around it that, you know what, I'm going to handle the holy today. I'm going to make sure that my life is clean and I'm ready and I'm listening. If we'll handle that holy correctly, folks, God will turn this city, these cities in this area, and this world upside down. He'll turn our lives upside down. Folks, we've got to be willing to empty ourselves of everything that hinders that move. That's every one of us. That's all of us. If we prepare, God will provide. If we dig the ditches, God will fill every one of them. Folks, this is not a what if. What if God were to do that? You ever sat around and done that? What if, what if, what if? This is not a what if. This is an if. If we will, God will. That's that's what Scripture says. That's what Scripture teaches. Let me ask you a question. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Will you be that person today? Will we be that church? That's really the only question God has already given the provision and the promise to. Is will we be the church that prepares? Will I be the person that prepares? Will we dig the ditches so that we can send the rain? For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at 
facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.